Well, good morning and happy Sunday. This is PFG Live. And welcome from New Hampshire, where it is now snowing. We hope you guys are having an awesome day. So, uh, let's see. We got some guys in Discord. Can you guys hear me? Can you hear the words coming out of my mouth? And, uh, and we have some folks on YouTube. So happy Sunday. Oh, checking in from uh, near near White Plains is DBX, who says White Plains is reporting, uh, let's see, 050 at 7 knots, visibility 1 and 3 quarter miles in light rain, mist, overcast 700 feet, temperature 03, 2.02, altimeter 2972. Welcome, DBX, and thanks for being here. Widget Works from... Edmonton, Alberta, Canada reports plus two science, 76% relative humidity and sunny in Edmonton. Welcome, sir. Bill Olney is with us. He says it's raining in the Syracuse area and he can hear me. Thank you, sir. That is important. Oh, Tuck himself is checking in as 35 degrees Fahrenheit, 100% humidity in the Buffalo, New York. Welcome, sir. Um, let's see. Almost is here. Almost reporting 73 degrees Fahrenheit in surprise, sunny, light, and breezy. Carl is reporting in from the People's Republic of Rhode Island, where it is 37 degrees Fahrenheit and raining. Thank you, sir. Let's see. Oh, the, the Air Cave Shop. Welcome. San Jose, California is reporting 63 dregs. <laughs> and sunny. Nice. It's always sunny in San Jose. Doesn't isn't that how the song goes? Oh no, that's the song for the Uber driver. Do you know your way to San Jose? I don't know. Nobody knows. Well, uh, let's see. We got more folks checking in, I think, on Discord. Right now in Wyndham, New Hampshire, it's 35 degrees Fahrenheit, 99% relative humidity, because it's snowing, raining-ish. It's snishing. The Manchester Airport reports says winds are 020 at three knots, visibility nine miles. Oh, a symbol I've never seen before. UP. Oh, that's um oh, it's a pellet. It's like some sort of rain pellets. Oh, that's interesting. Broken at 700, broken at 1000, overcast 18. Uh 100 and temperature 03, 2.01, altimeter 2987. And UP, okay, we're going to send the research team out. I got I don't remember what the symbol UP is for. So do, somebody do a search on the Google for uh, METAR symbol UP. WR Rocket, sir, welcome aboard from uh, Alaska. Clear, 16 degrees, winds west-northwest at 15 knots on the Emerald Isle. Welcome. Uh, let's see. Un oh, DBX. Let us celebrate. Unknown precipitation is the symbol. So currently Manchester is reporting unknown precipitation. It could be cottage cheese for all they know up at the airport. No idea. Taunus Mechanics is reporting in at plus 10 degrees science. Sunny today near Frankfurt, Germany. My bees were flying and that's not good. Really? Hmm. Uh, Flat Lapper is with us from Northern Illinois, 36 degrees, cloudy with 11 miles an hour. 
Welcome, sir. We're uh, we're starting to creep around the globe here. <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. Well, what a great way to start the day. Uh, we have a couple of things on the agenda today. You guys can keep checking in. We'll catch up with you. Uh, it was a very busy week work-wise, and then I realized, oh, I gotta I gotta get some topics going for the PFG Live. So DBX Dan was the uh, the uh, instigator for damping. So we're going to talk about damping and resonance uh, in all systems. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And um, we're going to give away a McMaster car catalog. We do that every year. And this is, the time has come. So I'm going to set up the rules and uh, we'll publish the rules, uh, you know, after the live because I haven't, haven't done anything about it. And um, I'm going to report to you on a great visit that I had uh, at two universities in two university shops. And it was just uh, more fun uh, than I can possibly explain. I am, uh, my faith in, in education was reinforced uh, during this, these visits. And if, if the, if the one of the people I visited shows up uh, here in Discord, which I, I think is a low probability, we'll we'll drag him in, kicking and screaming. But what I'm doing is I'm planning a um, I'm planning to have a, an episode where we have t- at least two guests, possibly three, that are involved in education and are running university shops, because I think the the things that I learned were really interesting, and I will talk about that today. So, uh, let's see, everything seems to be working. The bits are flying and, uh, and we can get on with it. So let's, we should probably start off with the, the funnest, uh, the funnest thing we're going to do today. Let me grab something for the people on video. This, (laughs) oh, Unix carbide decided to show up. Uh, and he's reporting 39 degrees and raining in Brooklyn. And Daniel uh, Daniel F. says, uh, Good evening from London, UK, where it is 9 of the Celsius, 79% relative humidity, and surprisingly, no rain on the horizon. But I'm willing to bet that you are not putting salt in your tea. Is that correct? We'll talk about that <laughs> today. Oh. <laughs> uh. That started trouble this week on the uh, on the intertubes. So I have here a, a catalog from uh, McMaster Car. It weighs about seventeen pounds. It is completely unopened. The good in here, the latest copy of the Good Yellow Book, is waiting to grace the shelf of some lucky recipient. And by lucky, I mean we're doing a random drawing. And here's how it's going to work. Um, McMaster car catalogs are very much in demand and I've been, I've been fortunate to get one every year for the last, I don't know how many years, 15 years. Um, and I, I give them away because I, I, I tend not to, not to use the paper, but if you're interested in getting this McMaster car catalog, we're going to do a random drawing and, uh, you don't have to spend a nickel, um, how did you, <laughs> Unix Carbide says, how did you fit the whole internet in that box? Let me tell you, 
it wasn't easy. Kept dribbling out the sides. So uh, this is just for fun. Uh, it, here's what you do. In the comments of this YouTube video, okay, so you have to go to YouTube. You have to be subscribed to my channel and you have to leave a comment on this video, okay? And the comment has to say, ready? This is important. What about car? C-A-R-R. -R. That's the other guy, McMaster car. What about car? Question mark. You just comment that <laughs> in this video. And then next week, this has to, you have to be done by uh, midnight of Saturday coming. Uh, by the way, today is January 28th. Um, so midnight of this coming Saturday, you have to have this done. And then live, we will gather all the, the people who, who did it, who filled, who fulfilled the requirements and we will randomly pick somebody and I will ship this McMaster car catalog to you for free. Um, let's see. Jeff Lawford has joined us. He says, late to the party, it's warmed up to a calm zero degrees Fahrenheit in Wasilla, Alaska, and looks like it will be snowing soon. You know, I might be able to see your house from here. That, not quite. Well, we are getting snow, uh, steady snow. Maybe maybe Manchester will update their, uh, their forecast and we'll see it on the air. Um, Daniel F. in the UK says, absolutely correct. Only milk and honey in tea. Okay, we, we could have a little discussion about this. But So if you're not familiar with the recent news, a United States uh, scientist uh, released a report that basically said putting a pinch of salt in tea is a good thing for flavor. And it's a very tiny amount, but what it does is the salt will block receptors for the bitter, the bitterness in your, in your taste buds and make the tea taste better. Um, so the British, um, embassy issued a press release. Uh, we'll get to that, Carl. The British embassy released a, uh, a, a statement that basically said salt does not belong in tea. It has to be prepared properly, not in the microwave, which is a frequent source of poorly prepared tea. Um, so uh, Unix, I, the salt actually blocks the receptors in your taste buds that get that bitter taste, okay? So it's a trick. It's a little trick. And that's what it's doing. Now, I did it. I did a batch of tea yesterday. I did the salt trick in, uh, in 20 ounces of tea, I think. Uh, that's how I make it by the batch. And, uh, I liked it. I, I didn't notice anything very strong, you know, no, no big change. Uh, Unix asks, so it doesn't directly affect my outlook on life. Oh no, it does. No, it will. It will completely, uh, make you want to start, uh, having crumpets. Uh, so yeah. So Carl says you can heat the water in the microwave. So after that particular uh, press release, the, the American embassy <laughs> releases, releases a statement that basically said, 
they said uh, the only correct way to prepare tea is in the microwave. <laughs> now, the last time this sort of banter went back and forth uh, across the pond, we ended up with a whole bunch of cases of tea in the in the Boston Harbor, which, by the way, might have tasted really well had they taken the time to taste it, but they didn't. So a little controversy going on there. Uh, and I will not report to you whether or not today's tea actually has sodium chloride in it, but it, it does taste good. Ah. So um, that, that's kind of affecting my outlook on life. Anyway, that was the story on, the, on, the, uh, uh, on preparing tea. And for the record, I do not prepare tea in the microwave. Okay. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with heating water in the microwave. The, the other thing I heard this week, I know, this is PFG Live. It, it all relates. Trust me. Uh, the other thing I heard this week is some nonsense about how heating water in the microwave does something to the water. So allow me to say, as an RF engineer and, you know, electromagnetics nerd, no, it doesn't. <laughs> there, I said it. However, if you put your tea bags in the, in the mug and you put the water in the mug and you put that whole assemblage into the microwave, you can very well turn that into something completely horrible if you, uh, if you overdo it. DBX says, am I the only one? But I don't see a comment section in today's YouTube video. Really? Folks, we're doing it live here. Uh, let's see. Maybe, maybe there's a switch I have to throw. Not widget work says it's working fine. Um, so it might be just you. If widget work says it's working, I'm not going to go searching into the settings. CJ Stevens says, Oh no, I'm late, but we still like you. CJ Stevens reports 44 degrees and rainy in East Tennessee, building a projector protector for a golf sim today. Neat. What are you building it out of? Is this plywood? Is this welded stainless steel? Please, inquiring minds want to know. Um, all right, so that's the story on tea. I like my tea. Uh, I will confess to one thing, however. I do make iced tea. So in the morning, I will make a batch of tea. <laughs> okay, I'm going to confess all of it because now my UK friends are going to be all over me like, you know, I make tea by boiling water, pouring the boiling water all over loose tea where I allow it to steep for five minutes. That's a little long for many teas in the tradition, right? I, I get that. Then I use a French press to remove the, um, uh, the tea solids. And then I pour that into a, a large container. Here it is, you lucky video guys. There's my large container, my Kaiser compressor container over ice. And I have twist. I, I have tweaked the process so that it's not too much ice and it's not too little ice. It's just the right amount of ice to make it very drinkable right away. And then I consume that entire container during the day, typically. That's my recipe. I know you're cringing in the UK. I know the UK is now unsubscribing. I'm sorry. No sugar, no milk, no lemon, no honey for me. But I respect your choices. 
CJ Stevens says aluminum and Lexan. Customer did not want the expanded steel cover. Most have. Neato. Excellent. Well, I look forward to pictures on the Instagram. So uh, just to reiterate, again, twice, if you would like to win a McMaster car catalog, the very latest one, it's, it's so much the latest one that I don't even know what number it is. I haven't even opened the box. Um, and if anybody knows what, what the number of the latest one is, you could post it. But this McMaster car catalog can be yours by subscribing to the channel, commenting in today's video, and the comment should read, what about car? Question mark. That's C-A-R-R. -R. And midnight on Saturday is the closing. And we'll, we'll draw it on Sunday. Live. Live. Okay. So um, let's see. Ah, we covered some important world events here. Okay. Your latest is 129. So this must be. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is this 129 or 130? We'll find out. Tux Garage says, I make tea by boiling salt water in a sa saucepan and then pouring it over my ground tea leaves in the bottom of my mason jar and mix vigorously with honey. You know, I want that to be true so bad. <laughs> I think the introduction of the mason jar is, uh, makes it makes it fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. All right, moving on. Uh, we have a couple of things to talk about today. One of them is visiting these two university shops. Let's talk about that now. <laughs> Tuck says, with a hint of sarcasm added for extra flavor. Thank you very much. I, I had the good fortune of, of visiting two university shops uh, last week. And it was kind of weird because it wasn't planned this way. Um, oh, Greenwood AG just checked in. 42 degrees, winds east-southeast at 6. Relative humidity 92% in south-central Idaho. Welcome, sir. <laughs> All right, so what about car? What about car? You got to put that in the, that's not, you're not in the comments. You're in the chat. Let's just get this clear. You're in the chat right now, Wes. You have to be in the comments. You can wait till after we're done, but it has to be in the comments, not in the chat. Okay. Because the comments will be around next week and the chat is hard to get back to. Um, so one, one was a planned visit. My son got a tour of MIT, a, an official tour of MIT. MIT is in Cambridge, Massachusetts, along the Charles River. And uh, technically it's not Boston, but Boston is on the other side of that bridge, 364 smoots away. Um, so he got a tour of MIT, and, and then I had been in contact with uh, my, my good friend Dan Gilbert, who is the, he runs the Mechanical Engineering Student Shop. I don't know if that's the complete official title, but that's what it is. So if you're if you're a mechanical engineering major at MIT and you you got to make things, you and if you don't know how to use a shop or even if you do know how to use a shop, you take this course, which I don't remember the number of, and 
and you learn how to use a shop. And I went and he visited Dan in his shop. His handle on, um, uh, on the Instagram, I think is, is the, oh, I'm going to have to, I don't want to get it wrong. So let me see if I could bring it up. Uh, yeah, the machine, the machine shop, 10 double E that's his handle on Instagram. Go follow him. The machine shop, 10 double E. And, um, so we've known each other for years and he's at MIT and I've driven past him a hundred times. Finally, I had to go down for Jared's tour. So I said, I'll come visit you. So we go through, we did the tour, which by the way, was kind of superficial. So I knew that the, the, the dad tour was going to be you know, real important. So we get through the tour and, uh, I contact Dan and sure enough, he was in the shop doing stuff. And, uh, I go across the street and I show up at his lab and it was like, wow, <laughs> we know each other, but we don't know each other. So we, uh, is he a double E? No, he's a Mechie. Uh, he's a mechanical engineer, Carl. Um, and it was like, you know, it was like old friends and we, I, we got the tour. The first thing you need to know is he runs a great ship, tight ship. So, you know, everything we talk about of in the, in the machine shop of creating systems and having organization and making things foolproof and all that kind of stuff. He, he is doing this at a PhD level, um, uh, just a magnificent, uh, shop that he's organizing. And he's, he's, he's also working, um, uh, you know, on a moving target because everything changes, right? What, what the students need, what the machines are, what, what's broken, what's not broken, dealing with the Institute. Don't get me wrong. I love him, but it's a big organization. And, you know, if he puts a work order in that he needs some electricals dropped, uh, it could take months before this happens. So it was really fantastic. And I, I, I do not have a bunch of pictures, um, because I was focusing on just spending some time. We posted one photo of, uh, of Dan and I, um, I might be able to show that photo. Let's see. Um, yeah, there we are. So let's see if I can show you this. You guys on the audio podcast, you could just imagine. Let's see. There we are. So, so Dan has this office in the corner of the building on the first floor, which is which is basically that whole that whole area is the shop that looks out over Mass Ave and you know has the MIT in the backdrop, and you can kind of almost see the the bridge, and it's fantastic. And he's, he's surrounded by stuff that we love, right? Precision tools, measurement tools, monochromatic light source, optical flats. He showed me this beautiful bench micrometer that was, uh, I think a brown and sharp. Was it brown and sharp? I can't remember. But he's, he's also in the habit of saving stuff from labs that are dumping what they think is crap, but it's not crap. It's good stuff. So there's a lot of classic, wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, the shop is full of, um, roughly 13 by 40 lathes for the, for the students, uh, half a dozen bridge ports, uh, 
Um, and also Dan does a really good job of setting up all the machines. So they're the same, right? So, uh, they all have the same power feeds, controls, tool drawers next to them. So if a student is, walks up to a bridge board and opens up the drawer, he's going to see the same thing, uh, that he saw, you know, last week. Uh, or if a student walks up to a lathe and you know how we have like over the headstock, there's various tools and things. She is going to see exactly what she saw last week on lathe number six, even though this is lathe number two. So all of those things are, take a lot of time and energy and he's doing a great job. Um, also there's an area with other, you know, big tool board and wrenches and things and everything has a place. And if, if a, if a wrench is missing or a tool, you know, a screwdriver is missing, it's the old shadow box technique. It's obvious that it's out being used. So, you know, what we like to strive for, for shop organization, Dan is practicing at a, at a much higher level at an order of magnitude. Cause he's got a bunch of students. Um, one of the really cool things I saw was they have two injection molding machines. So they've got a, they're both, you know, by injection molding machine standards, they're both small, but one was, one was very small and was kind of small and they make, they make, um, as part of their course in injection molding, they make, uh, yo-yos and then they, they, they personalize the design. So the design, they change the design a little bit and they change the colors and the, you know, the nomenclature and stuff. And, and Dan proudly displays these two, uh, huge, basically display racks behind, behind plexiglass of, of student projects of their, their yo-yos. And it was, it was glorious. It was fantastic. Uh, when I was there, um, one of the guys, and I, I'm not going to try to remember his name cause I don't want to get it wrong. Um, who works in the, who works in the shop was using a Faro arm. That's the, the laser scanning tool. Um, and he was gathering data on a bunch of these yo-yo parts so that he could present that data to, to the class. And my son got to use, uh, the, the laser scanner. This was, this was pretty awesome. Of course, in the back, there's a room with 3D printers and Form Labs is well represented. <laughs> Form Labs is a spin out from MIT. I don't know if you knew that. So there was a couple of generations of Form Labs printers, a couple of sizes of Form Labs printers, and, and the students all get uh, access to those. But there's, there's a couple of, uh, of key takeaways here. Is number one, we are teaching machining with manual machines and CNC machines. By the way, they had a uh, Haas mini mill. They had a, a recent acquisition of a Mazak lathe, CNC lathe, uh, dual spindle. That I believe Dan um, had pictures of on in Instagram. So if you go back in his Instagram, you'll find pictures of them moving it. <laughs> that was pretty cool. So uh, what else did they have? Um, I'm probably forgetting a few things, but a very nicely equipped shop. So Dan, you're doing an awesome job. Thank you for doing what you do for the students. And it was really cool. 
So now that I've told you the story of the MIT Mechanical Engineering Student Shop, now you're going to hear the rest of the story. I was a freshman in 1979, 1980, um, and then I took a term off, and then I came back. I think it was during that term, so I was basically a sophomore. Uh, my my uh, roommate, my uh, apartment mate, was a mechanical engineering student. And in fact, uh, one day he said to me, and I had never touched a machine tool before, okay? I had, however, seen machine tools being used. Let me back up a little bit. The summer before I went to school, I went back to school, so the, during the term I took off, it was the summer plus a term. I worked for a company called Bulova Systems and Instruments. And uh, while I was there, I was also in my cycling phase. I was, I was doing a lot of cycling. And I needed a bushing to make the, my caliper brakes work on my road bike. And this, was, this was a thing. I didn't, know how to, I didn't know how to solve this problem. But at work, I knew there was this German machinist <laughs> who worked for Bulova when it was, you know, when, when it was a watch company, it still is technically, uh, but he was working in systems and instruments, which is basically making missiles and bombs. But I digress. So um, I explained my problem to him and I sketched something and he went away. He said, I'll take care of you. And he had a South Bend nine inch lathe at his, at his work area. And he cranked out a couple of, um, of bushings for me. So at lunchtime or whatever, he came over and he handed me these bushings and it was exactly what I needed and exactly what I sketched. And I said, thank you. And he was wonderful. And so I was vaguely interested in these machine tools. Now I, I, I grew up in an apartment in Brooklyn and we didn't have any machine tools. Um, in fact, my dad was a master stock maker for rifles. He, he made, he made rifle stocks and worked on, on, uh, on rifles quite a bit, um, doing a great job in his lap at his desk in an apartment in Brooklyn. So I was very used to handwork, right? All right. Fast forward. I get to school, uh, find an apartment with, uh, my, my, uh, my friend, John, and we, one day he says to me, hey, I got to go to the student shop at the mechanical engineering department and I've, I've got to do work on my project. Do you want to come along? And I said, sure. So I said, can I, can I use a machine tool? He says, yeah, I'll set you up. So we get there and he sets me up on a lathe. We found some piece of stock, some piece of scrap. And he showed me how to run the lathe. He says, okay, have fun. You know, don't die. I'll be across the shop working on my project. So I proceeded to make some chips on this lathe. Here I am. I'm turning a, a big round thing into a small round thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really digging this. Okay. So after a while, he comes over. He says, how are you doing? I'm like, this is awesome. He says, do you want to try using a bridge port? And I'm like, yeah, I want to try using a bridge port. So, so we change over. He sets me up on a bridge port, little block of junk end mill, uh, showed me how not to die. 
and he went back to his project. So I, I'm standing there running to Bridgeport, having a great time making chips. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And uh, long story short, I am 99% sure, m- might be 99.5% sure that this is the very shop I visited with Dan Gilbert at MIT uh, last week. Is that crazy? Now it gets better. So Dan takes me over. We're, we're, we're touring the shop. He says, oh, I got to show you this. So that he has this, he blew up this old photograph. He found an old photograph and he got it enlarged and it was hanging in the shop. And this was a photograph of this shop from the 1930s, 40s, not really sure, but back then. <laughs> it looked the same. I mean, there was the, of course, the addition of, of some electricals, uh, but the, you know, the ceiling was the same ceiling and the windows were the same windows and the machines, some of the machines were the same machines, literally, because he had some old machines and we found the old machines in the photo. It was really great. So I felt really good about seeing this stepping stone shop, right? This place of education uh, at MIT so that, uh, kids can, uh, you know, start to become mechanical engineers and have machines to do their projects. Uh, and that was just, that was just awesome. So that was one of the shops and one of the people I visited. Then I accidentally, and I promise this was not planned, uh, standby, I dropped something. I know you're wondering what I dropped, but you'll find out in a few minutes. So I go across the river because I have to meet my kiddo, Sam. And Sam was at work at the uh, School for the Museum of Fine Arts, part of Tufts University. And it's right near the uh, Fine Arts Museum, the, uh, the MFA, the Museum for Fine Arts in Boston, Massachusetts. But she works uh, in a lab that does digital printing. And she is working on her project, which I'm not going to talk about today, but she's doing a really cool project. And that was in the shop, right? So, so Sam is doing hands-on shop work. She had to qualify on welders. She had to qualify on you know, shears and brakes and stuff. And so I go down there and she introduces me to um, this cool dude whose name is Legs. That's his nickname. And I'm going to, he's one of the guys I'm going to try to get on. And here I am. I met another person that cared deeply about the students and giving them a good experience in the shop and teaching them safely and encouraging their creativity. This shop had a completely different focus, right? These are art students and they're mostly doing art. So one of the things I saw in the shop was a big wooden stump, actually about three of them, big wooden stump with an anvil on it and all the, you know, all the classic old anvil-y stuff. Uh, in addition, right next to it was a, a Miller Dynasty 300 welder <laughs> and then a, a MIG welder and, you know, all of these things. So 
it was a it was a great shop. It was a different focus. It was a different level of of technology, of course, but it had something in common with the MIT shop across the river, and that was somebody who cared about giving the students a, a very good shop experience. And I'm actually going to connect these guys together so they could talk talk across the river because I think they could help each other out. So that, so that's that's coming. Uh, there was a really good story jumping back to to Dan at MIT. He said he was talking about you know how his philosophy of running the shop and and the precision tools. He said I would rather a student pick up like a gauge pin and use it incorrectly and scratch it and destroy it, and then tell them, look, that's okay. Let's learn from this. Here's a new gauge pin, and let them break something. And, and make sure they know it's okay so that they don't get scared out of the shop. Because the opposite philosophy that we, we talked about was, you know, welcome to the shop. Don't touch any of this stuff. So he was, he was trying to have that not happen. Because that's very, uh, it's kind of scary for a student and, and, and it could put them right off of wanting to, to learn about it. So that was a, anyway, it was, it was a fantastic visit. So the, the, the visit at, uh, the, uh, uh, SMUFA, the, the school for the museum of fine arts is SMUFA, the SMUFA shop. It was, it was great. And, um, I didn't plan on this, but there it is in two days, I got this like mega dose of university shops. Um, and also being in that shop with both my kids was pretty darn cool. Not going to lie. So that was the story of uh, visiting the uh, the uh, Smuffa shop and the MIT sh uh, mechanical engineering shop. Uh, that was uh, that was a lot of fun, and if if any of you are worried about whether or not kids are going have an a have access to uh, machine tools, rest assured, at least in those two fine educational institutions, they do. So. Um, yeah, looking forward to connecting those those folks so they can talk. So if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. Any snide remarks, uh, don't forget to put your comments after the video. After we're all done here, you can go in and, and put your comments in for the drawing for next week. Um, so earlier today, yes, I confess it was today, I put a... I put a, a a notification up on the discord server looking for topics for today. Um, and one popped up DBX came through. Uh, he wanted to talk about damping cause we use that term a lot. So I wanted to do a bit of a, a bit of a thought experiment that will allow us to understand this term damping and, and why it's important. So, before we even start, let me just give you a definition here. So, uh, I don't know, do we have any of our uh, German speakers on? Uh, identify yourself in the chat uh, because I'm going to get something wrong here. Uh, Johann uh, Witt Hansen established that Hans Christian Orsted, by the way, an Orsted uh, is a term, a measurement term that is named after this guy. And it is uh, a measurement of magnetic field. Uh, was the first to use the term 
Gedankenexperiment from the German thought experiment around 1812. Orsted was also the first to use the equivalent term, and this is where I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, Gedankenversuch. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Stefan is going to yell at me, but uh, that's the best I could do. So we're going to do some thought experiments to talk about damping. And my goal is when we're done, you'll understand what it is and how to use it. So, uh, first of all, you all use damping every day. If you drive a vehicle, your vehicle has a, a couple of important components. It has a spring, but it also has a shock absorber. Okay. The shock absorber is a misnomer. It should be called a damper. Okay. So it has a spring and it has a damper. Yes, Unix Carbide correctly points out there is it is an oil damper generally, and we'll talk about why that's important. So let's first talk a little bit about energy, okay? Um, we're going to talk about electrical systems and mechanical systems, and the, the behavior is equivalent, but we'll talk about both of them uh, to understand what these terms mean. The first term you need to understand is resonance. So let's just, again, we're going to start with a thought experiment. I actually have a few demos here for, for later, but let's just start with a thought experiment. We're going to take a piece of monofilament and we're going to tie it to a, uh, an eye hook screwed into your ceiling. Don't, don't tell your spouse. And we're going to take a, a couple of feet of monofilament. <laughs> Unix says the whole topic has resonance with me here. Yeah, I know. And, and then at the end of our piece of monofilament, we're going to tie a big, heavy one inch nut. Okay. So if we take that and we, we start that pendulum swinging. Okay. We will notice that it swings regularly back and forth and it does it at a certain rate. Okay. Um, and it'll do it for a long time, but not forever. So first let's look at what the resonance is. Resonance means a system that rings or like in a case of a pendulum goes back and forth repeatedly. That system is in resonance. So resonance means that there's two buckets in which you could have energy and we're pouring the energy from one bucket into the other bucket. Tintinabulation, says DBX. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> we need some definitions. So when our pendulum is swinging up to its highest point and then instantaneously pauses and then starts swinging back the other way, when it's at that highest point, where is all of its energy? Okay. All of its energy is potential energy because it has gone up opposite gravity and now it's going to start swinging back the other way. So we now know there's one flavor of energy in this system called potential energy or gravitational potential energy. 
And then when that pendulum starts swinging the other way, where is its maximum velocity? You are correct. The maximum velocity of the pendulum is at the bottom of the swing. Where the maximum velocity happens is where it has the maximum kinetic energy. So it's motion, okay, one half mv squared, it has m, the mass of the thing, and the v squared, the velocity of the thing. That's where it has the maximum kinetic energy. And now it keeps on swinging, and now it goes to the other side of the pendulum area, and it, it hits the maximum height, and it pauses instantaneously, and now you've sloshed the kinetic energy back into the bucket labeled potential energy. So resonance, in this case, in a mechanical sense, is the energy being sloshed back and forth between potential and kinetic, and back to potential and back to kinetic. So here we have a resonance system. Um, are there losses in this system? And the answer to that is, yeah, there are losses in the system. The So... In, in the chat, let's name some losses. What, what are some of the losses in that system? What do I mean by the losses? Will that pendulum in, in your kitchen that you just screwed into the ceiling, will that go forever? The answer I think everybody can agree is no. Okay, it's not going to go forever. Eventually, it's going to stop. Why is it going to stop? Okay, we got two people that said friction, uh, heat, air friction, air drag, uh, you're all correct. So as this thing swings through the air, it has to push air out of the way. <laughs> Unix carbide says rust. Yes, yes. I like, I like the, um, I like the time frame over which you think. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, there's air drag associated with this thing, and air drag is is loss, right? It takes energy to push that air out of the way. And what happens is the air makes some swirlies as you're pushing it out of the way and you're increasing the average kinetic energy of the air. So I've taken some of my energy and I turned it into kinetic energy of the air. I lost energy to the kinetic energy of the air. Does anybody know what average kinetic energy uh, what, what its other name is. The average kinetic energy of a bunch of molecules has a name. What's the name? We're uh, standing by for the name. <laughs> yes. WidgetWorks got it. Carl got it. It's called the temperature. You literally are heating the room with your pendulum, okay? So eventually your pendulum will, 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 will reduce its amplitude and eventually it will stop because the energy that you put into your resonance system got radiated away as heat, okay? By, by increasing the average kinetic energy. <laughs> okay. DBX is, is cutting and pasting um, very useful information. So now let's switch over, and this is for you WR Rocket 
let's switch over to electrical terms. Okay. Let's take this thing, title drag. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There is, there is title drag. Let's switch over to electrical terms. And uh, if we take two plates of metal and we space them apart from each other, okay, we get an electrical component called a capacitor. Yeah, Unix has space-time warping. That's true. That's a, that's a source of, uh, of loss. So two plates of metal facing each other, spaced apart, not touching, is called a capacitor. Why? Because we could build up a charge on one of the plates with respect to the other plate, and now the capacitor is charged. Okay, and if we if we look at the electric field lines, there's electric field lines between the two plates, and it's sitting there with a charge on it. So, if if a capacitor is charged, and it has a, it, you could measure the voltage across this capacitor. Okay, do not put your tongue on it. It is storing energy in what form? Okay, it is storing energy in its electric field. All right, now we're going to hook up to that capacitator. Sorry, that's, that's a joke. Capacitor. We're going to hook up in parallel with it a coil of wire. And that coil of wire gets a name in, in electrical stuff called an inductor. Okay. Um, hey, welcome aboard, AB Shop. He says, a big ciao from Alberto of AB Shop, Italy. Happy to hear you. We're happy you're here to join us. Welcome. So now we hook up a big coil of wire to our capacitor. That big coil of wire is called an inductor and current starts flowing out of the capacitor into the inductor. As soon as current is flowing in the inductor, it creates a magnetic field, okay? The inductor is able to store energy in a magnetic field, okay? What happens? Well, all of the energy that was in the capacitor now dumps into the inductor, and the inductor has current flowing through it. It likes to have a steady current flowing through it. Capacitors like to have a steady voltage across them. So now you got this charged up inductor, but the voltage on the capacitor has gone to zero. Where's all my energy? What used to be stored in uh, electric fields is now stored in a magnetic field. Well, you probably see what's coming next. What happens instantaneously when the capacitor voltage hits zero and all the all the uh, energy is in the magnetic field, the magnetic now the current starts pushing voltage into the, or I should say, the inductor starts pushing voltage into the capacitor, and the capacitor starts charging up until the current in the inductor hits zero. Now where's all the energy? It's in the electric field. So we're sloshing the energy back and forth between the electric field and the magnetic field, and that will slosh back and forth forever. That is the equivalent of our, our pendulum. All right? Are there losses? Will it really go forever? And the answer is no. It won't go forever in the real world because there's losses in that system also. The predominant loss is what? I have to wait my five seconds of delay here. 
What is the primary loss in electrical systems? Yes, Jeff says it. Correct. Uh, see, we'll get we'll get somebody. You guys at Discord, you gotta like, gotta keep up with the guys on YouTube. I mean, seriously. Anything? Anything? Bueller. Bueller. Heat. Daniel F says yes. That is correct. So Jeff gives a rather complete answer. He says I squared R loss, but I was looking for the word resistance, right? So there's resistance in the wire. It's not a superconductor. It has some resistance in it. That makes loss. Anytime current flows through that resistance, you get power lost in the in the form of P equals I squared R. Um, and it he, it literally heats up. So Dan, Daniel, you're correct. It de- it heats up, and you lose it as heat. What is heat? Heat is the average kinetic energy of the air. So, so it's really funny that both of these systems are losing energy the same way. It tur- it's turning into heat. So eventually, that system will also die down, and it'll stop. It'll it, all the energy will disappear. Okay. So we did a mechanical pendulum and we did a electrical LC circuit and they're both resonant systems. They both have losses. Here it is. That loss. Um, so they are shuffling it. The system, the LC system or the pendulum system, either one, they are in fact Unix carbide losing energy, right? But there's a dotted line around each system and that energy is crossing the dotted line. In both cases, they end up in the room, heating the room. So as far as the system is concerned, they lost energy. As far as the energy is concerned, it just changed forms. So you are correct. It is elsewhere. It's outside the dotted line, which is the system we're looking at. All right. I told you both of those, uh, we painted both of those pictures. We did a Gedanken experiment so that we could bring in the word damping. Damping is the losses. So if we intentionally put losses in a system so that it stops oscillating or ringing, uh, Carl says, so damping is a polite term for entropy generation. Frankly, yes, but I prefer entropy generation. (laughs) Good point. Um, uh, yes, uh, Unix, you got it. So why would we intentionally want to damp the oscillation? Uh, and the answer is go back to your car and take out your shock absorbers. Everybody kind of knows what happens if we take out the shock, shock absorbers. And now you go down the road and your car is just bouncing all over the place. A, it's uncomfortable. B, you are potentially losing contact of your wheels with the ground because they're bouncing around so much. So a a smart engineer says, you know what? We have to damp that oscillation. So what are they going to do? They're going to put intentional losses in the system. So they put in a shock absorber. Okay. Carl says, sometimes you need to piss away stored energy. Correct. So what is a shock absorber? A shock absorber is typically in a in an oil bath, okay? It is moving a disc around that has a little hole in it, and the size of the hole is how much oil 
can pass through that hole for a given pressure and it gets tuned so that the, sh the shock absorber just correctly damps the bounce of the spring mass system, which is your car on the springs, and that's called damping. Let's introduce two more terms, overdamping and underdamping. It's real simple. Overdamping means you just bought new shocks. Underdamping means you need to buy new shocks. <laughs> so, yes. So uh, Unix says the viscosity of what passes through the hole allows control. So you can control in a shock absorber, in, in an oil shock absorber, which is used elsewhere besides cars, of course, you can control the viscosity of the liquid or you can control the size of the hole or a little of both. You are exactly correct. What happens as you drive down the road to your shock absorbers? What do your shock absorbers do as you drive down the road? Anybody? Bueller? Correct. Widget Works is on it. They heat up. And what does the heat of the shock absorber turn into? The heat of the air, which means we've just moved that energy into global warming. I mean, increasing the kinetic energy of the surrounding air. So we've stolen energy out of the resonance system. And the, the effect of that is to make the resonance system more damped. It doesn't go bouncing around. If you damp, Oh, electrically, let's go back to electrical. We're going to flip back and forth. You have a capacitor and an inductor, right? And there's this energy sloshing back and forth. What do we put in as a damper? A resistor, an intentional electrical resistance. Okay. And now you have a L, you have a C, an L, and an R in parallel. Okay. So you now can adjust the R to damp out that resonance just as much as you want. Okay, now, there are a couple other terms in damping. There's critically damped, overdamped, and underdamped. So if, if your shock absorber is all worn out and your car is like visibly bouncing, it's underdamped. It's underdamped because your shock absorber has literally worn out and the, the, the orifice or the orify that the oil's going through um, is gotten too big because of wear, okay, or some other reason. Or the oil has gotten thin because it, you know, its, its polymers have broken into smaller pieces. How'd I do, Carl? Is that good? So critical damping is when the system, you, you give an impulse to the system and it goes up and then it settles and that's it. It doesn't keep, it, it, it overshoots a little bit, but, but comes right back down to a steady state. Um, WidgetWorks says, fun fact, steering damps on race bikes can get more than hot enough to burn the hell out of you. I learned things, he says. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. So, so damping is that which what we do to reduce the oscillation because we don't want the oscillation. And give me an example in our world for when do you not want the oscillation? Okay, now we're in the machine shop. 
when don't we want the resonance to show up? Come on, people. I'm going to take a sip of my tea while you guys type in the answers furiously. Let's see. Ever. <laughs> Which work says ever. Yeah. Name a machine and name your words for a resonance. There it is. Almost comes up with the word chatter. Carl says prevent chattering. Exactly correct. So not always, but very much uh, of the time, chatter is due to, can be due to a resonance. Okay. Um, and if you take, for example, a very long end mill and you put it in your spindle and you go and you start taking shallow cuts with a very long end mill, which is high speed steel, let's put some numbers on it. It's a half inch end mill. It's five inches long and you're taking a 20 thousandths deep cut and in a surface, what are you going to see? Okay. You're going to see chatter. You, you potentially have that cutting tool bending. And if you turn it at just the wrong RPM, you're going to get chatter and you're going to see it in your work. Okay. Um, if you go to the lathe, and you could, and you stick your your uh, your tool in a in a bar that is sticking out of the chuck ten inches, and it's a one inch diameter bar. And you start cutting on that steel, and you start hearing that screaming sound that we all love. What's going on there? Resonance in the bar. Okay, it's 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 resonating. It's doing bouncing around, and it's making it uh, terrible. Yes, you get a you get you hit the resonant frequency. So, what's the solution? There's a couple of solutions that represent damping. One of them is increase your depth of cut, because now it you can't start the oscillation because the the uh, you're effectively holding the material. Um, that is a form of damping. Another way to do it is uh, there are boring bars that, that can get very long, okay? I don't know if you've seen these things. Um, and a boring bar can go into a hole, and, it, and the boring bar can start singing, can start resonating. And there are boring bars that have oil inside the boring bar plus a, a, a big other structure like a bar, like a big round bar inside of a tube, and it serves as a damper. And you literally get to adjust the damping in the boring bar. And you could have boring bars that are sticking out 20 to 1 and prevent the oscillation by giving critical damping. That's another example of damping. Where does the energy go that isn't getting turned into an oscillation? It's warming up the oil inside of the boring bar. Yes, I did play bass for Resonance back in the 70s. It was a good time. I still have a t-shirt. I'll wear it next week. Oh, WidgetWorks. Thank you very much. WidgetWorks is showing us a picture of a boring bar that is sticking out one kilometer from his tool holder. Is that um, nice? 10 times diameter. Uh, is that? Uh, is there any anti 
anti-chatter mechanism, except for like a, a, a bold operator. So what's another uh, useful thing in the shop that can give us a source of damping? Uh, we mentioned oil, okay? And the reason is, you know, getting oil out of the way is takes energy to push it out of the way, so it could add damping. Um, yes. So AB shop, I'm going to, I'm going to interpret what you said. Um, if you change the speed of your spindle with an end mill or of your chuck with a lathe, you can get away from the resonant frequency. And if you don't excite the resonant frequency, you can get away with not having the chatter. So one of the ways is to slow down. If you slow down a lot, you can get away from that resonance. So let's do a couple of um, demonstrations real quick. If you're on video, you'll see this. Um, and if you're not on video, you'll just have to imagine it. Um, so Unix Carbide said something interesting. He said, uh, uh, mass, question mark, can you add mass to dampen something? And the answer is no. When you add mass, you change the frequency, you change the resonant frequency, but you don't, you're not adding damping. That's an important distinction. So you could add mass to get out of a, a chatter problem, true, but what you're doing is you're changing the resonant frequency to where it's not harmful anymore, typically lower. You're making it at a lower resonant frequency. So you're not going to excite it with this particular energy that you're putting in from your end mill or from your uh, from your lathe tool, right? So I wanted to demonstrate real quick a couple of forms of damping, which is fun. And uh, I don't know how I don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to give it a shot. So this right here is a I have a piece of half inch PVC tube. Okay, nothing nothing super special. Half inch PVC tube. Um, and here is a, I have a pin. Here we go. Almost says rubber, lead, VFD, keep it under 4X diameter, stick out, and 10X for carbide, right? Positive tool. Now, so if you change from high speed steel tools to carbide tools, why does it change uh, chatter? because the carbide is stiffer and what it does is it puts the resonant frequency higher in frequency by a lot so you don't excite it. It's not that you're adding damping, you're adding um, stiffness, okay? Rubber and lead are good examples because rubber uh, acts like a damping material because it's it, it is a lossy, mechanically lossy material. When you squish and unsquish rubber, you are creating heat and the energy is leaving, okay? Lead, similarly, if you, if you go bend lead, you are actually causing heat. You're, you're causing loss. Lead balls in a rubber hose is a great damper. Listen, what you do on your own time is up to you. I'm just saying. But you are correct. So here's a here's a piece of PVC tubing, okay? 
And I am going to drop this pin. This is about a one and a quarter inch uh, steel pin down this PVC tubing. Okay. And we're going to do some something interesting. Let's just observe how long it takes. Doink. There it is. Pretty fast, right? Sorry, if you're not on video, you're missing, you're missing the excitement. Okay. Ready? Pretty fast. Okay. Now, what if I change that tubing? Okay. To a piece of aluminum. Let's, let's see what happens. Here's my pin. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> Pretty much the same. Let's try it again. Pretty much the same. Now, who knows what I'm about to do? Let's take, yes, almost knows. <laughs> Same tube, okay? Here is a stack of neodymium magnets, okay? I'm going to put it in this aluminum tube. Look, it does not attract to the aluminum. Yes, Unix says, I'm going to fill the tube with salty tea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready? Here we go. I just put my thumb in the right place so we don't lose it. One, two, three. Did you see that? How how much longer did that take? Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> it took like three times as long for this magnet to go down this aluminum tube. Isn't that neat? Now, just to show that we're not pulling a fast one on you, here's the PVC tube, right? With the magnet. By the way, they're the exact same lengths. I did try copper. I'll tell you in a minute. Ready? One, two, three. Doink. Just like, just like the pin. Ready? One, two, three. But as soon as we go to the aluminum... Come on, get in there. There you go. Ready? I want, I want you to be able to see the end of the tube here. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> okay. Uh, WidgetWorks says, and if you do it in front of a FLIR cam, that's a thermal imager, enough times you can see it getting hotter. Okay. So, Unix, are you confused? Did, you want to know what's going on here? Okay, everybody wants to know what's going on here. We just made a damping system called a magnetic damper. And if you've ever used a, like a, a triple beam balance uh, in chemistry class or in your shop, um, a triple beam balance frequently has a magnetic damper at the end. So we take a piece of aluminum, which is non-magnetic. That's a minor lie, but we'll get back to it. And... You take a piece of uh, a strong magnet. Yes, Carl correctly named it. It's called an eddy current damper. Okay, so a mag a magnet that's moving, or I should say, a magnetic field that's changing in the vicinity of a conductor. Okay, is going to cause current to flow in the surface of that conductor in the opposite sense to the magnet. So what happens is when we drop the magnet through the tube, okay, it literally makes a magnetic field that opposes the motion of the magnet. And if this tube was a superconductor, 
the magnet would never get through the tube. So we slowed down this magnet dropping through this aluminum tube in exchange for heating up the aluminum tube. That is a magnetic damper. Almost says some vehicles use these in the shock system where the shaft rides in a coil that is energized by a computer. So the same thing just flipped in reverse. Yes, exactly. So that's a cool demo. It's also a practical demo because we actually use that kind of magnetic damping. Um, and, and for extra credit, you could stick around for the after show and we'll talk about why aluminum is not really quote non-magnetic, but that's left as a uh, advanced topic. So damping is the act of burning energy from usually a resonant system. And I'll, I'll add that usually it's intentional why we call it damping. So a shock absorber, a magnetic damper, a piece of rubber, a oil damper, such as the boring bar that we, we thankfully, uh, thanks to widget works, we saw a picture of, uh, such as the shock absorbers in your car. All of those things are dampers. We're burning energy, uh, which is sloshing between two forms typically. And, uh, and preventing everything from bouncing around uncontrollably. So that is damping and it has nothing to do with relative humidity. Well, that's it guys. That's all I got. <laughs> I wish you a magnificent re remainder of your Sunday. Uh, sorry we went over, but not sorry at all. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you next week. If you're going to stick around on the discord server, I will be in the after party round table shortly. Don't forget, this is the week. Uh, if you want to enter for the drawing for the McMaster car catalog, you go to YouTube, you go to the comments section of this video and you say, what about car? And if you are a subscriber to the channel and you do that, you are entered and we'll pick, we'll pick it next week. Live, live. Okay. Uh, Unix says he's going to have to spend some real time with my therapist to recover from aluminum, now magnetic. Well, we'll talk about it. You'll see. Carl, thanks a lot. Take care. The Air Cave Shop, uh, nice having you almost. Uh, let's see. Uh, who else is here? Flat Lapper, uh, Art That Makes Art, AB Shop, a first-timer. Welcome aboard. In the Discord server, we have Tux Garage, Carl Tauber, DBX, Unix Carbide, Almost Machining, Widget Works, Daniel Florescu, and Belloni, who still, you haven't, you haven't uh, identified yourself to me in the thing. You need to do that. Have a great week, everybody. Get flat, stay flat, and we'll talk to you on Sunday.